portion of your budget should always be going for testing because you don't know what you don't know. And the only way to figure it out is you run experiments and you see a new creative or a new value proposition and what really gets people's attention, what gets them to engage, come to the site, click around, because creative can make huge difference. Welcome back to the Honest Marketing Podcast, where you learn proven strategies to grow your business without selling your soul. I'm your host, Travis Albritton. And in this interview with Leo Ebert, we go through everything that you need to know once you have a basic understanding of ads and paid traffic in order to, to make sure that those campaigns are really set up for success. So we talk about how to determine what the best return on ad spend or return on investment you should be looking for, the breakdown of the different kinds of campaigns and, and how they help you create a well-rounded ads campaign, and then also some things to be mindful of and to avoid to make sure you don't make the rookie mistakes that are going to sink your ads campaign before it starts. So if you are looking for, again, just an absolute masterclass and how to run paid traffic online, you're going to get a lot out of this interview. Now, make sure that you stick around to the very end where I uh, lay out my number one takeaway from an, just an action-packed episode that you'll definitely want to pay attention to because this is the thing that I think ultimately will determine whether your ads are successful or not. Let's dive in. So Leo, right off the bat, what do you do and what kinds of companies do you work with? Yeah, we do uh, paid ads management. Uh, so primarily Facebook ads, Google ads, uh, Bing slash Microsoft, Amazon ads. And primarily we work with e-com brands. Um, and even within that niche of e-com, a lot of our clients are kind of the higher AOV, higher average order value um, e-commerce brands. So anything that's say $300 plus of an average order value um, doesn't mean we don't work with brands that don't have that, but that is kind of a, a niche within the niche that we've specialized in that we do do a lot of work with. Sure, because that was going to be one of the first questions that I asked is what is a good average order value to aim for? Because in the world of ads, the more uh, the more you can spend to get a customer, the easier a lot of things become, not just with turning a profit, but also longevity of a campaign, right? If you're right on the border as you start, it's very hard to scale. Um, and so have you found that to be not just like as a niche within a niche beneficial for you, but in general, like a good price point for if you really want to scale a large ads campaign to be trying to get into that triple digit uh, cart value? Yeah. And it, in some sense, it is relative to your to your niche and your competitors. I mean, if you're all selling a uh, 40 or $50 item, you know, trying to get up to that $300 plus AOV with that is going to be tough and probably, probably unrealistic. Um, and so in that, in that sense, it's, it, it is, can be, you know, niche defined more than anything. Um, but having said that there are greater economies of scale once you are in that higher AOV so if you're in a niche that has that can naturally hit a higher AOV, or if within your niche you can be on the upper end of what's feasible and realistic, you are always going to come out in better shape than uh, someone who can't. And, and it, 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 it even even with margins being similar, you just have you have more to play with because of those economies and what what Google charges and Facebook charges per click or per view, right? So yeah, you always want to be on that upper end of what's realistic if you can. Sure. Yeah. The realistic part being the key word there. Cause it's like, yeah, I'd love to sell my paperclip for a thousand dollars, but if nobody is going right. to buy it, then it doesn't matter how much I put on the website. Right. 
Uh, it's a really good paperclip, man. It's like that good, right? No, it's, it's like sell me this no, pen, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then, especially especially with e-commerce, but also with other industries, when you can bake in either like repeat customers or recurring pur- purchases, and then you're looking not necessarily at the immediate return on ad spend, but maybe the lifetime value on average of a customer. How much does that factor in to you know decisions about when to scale? what's a good cost per acquisition, like those kind of things. Oh, it's huge. And that is something that um, most e-com brands, they, they really don't have a good sense of it. Um, so I come from an accounting background. I used to be a CPA. I worked at Deloitte for a few years before transitioning into this. And number, numbers, I'm just kind of, that's how my brain is wired to around numbers. So I always, as soon as I'm analyzing a brand or a client, that's one of my first questions is where are we on LTV? Because that will change everything. And a lot of times a brand will come to me and they might say, Hey, we need to hit this ROAS. And I say, okay, why do we need to hit that ROAS? Well, we just figured it out. We want, you know, we want to hit five X. Okay. Well, let's figure out, do you need five X? First of all, it could be five X is too high or too low. And if it's either one of those, you're going to lose at the ad game, or at least not go as far as you could. Um, and there have been a lot of scenarios where I talk to a brand, we do the analysis, and because of my background, I can help them figure that out, right? Analyzing the data, the historical numbers they have. And we might find out, hey, they thought they needed five, but really in order to maximize their profit, they're better off at three and a half. Um, or, or the opposite. They might, they might have been thinking they're making money at five, but because their repeat customers are just not there like they thought they were there, they really need to be hitting six or seven right? In order to be, to be viable long-term. So, you know, if, if you have two brands and one of them knows their LTV and the other does not, the one that knows it is going to beat you, you know, if you're, if you're the one that doesn't know it, right? Yeah. And just real quick for anyone who's not like a digital ads manager, ROAS is an acronym for return on ad spend. So like ROI would be return on investment. That's a more generic term. Return on ad spend is much more specific to like a campaign. Like we wrote, Mark Zuckerberg, a $100 check. How much did we make? Did we make $400, $500? And that's where you get that multiple. Now, what you said, I know it'd be true from my own experience, but it's very counterintuitive to think, well, higher ROAS is better, right? If I can trade somebody $1 and get seven, that's better than trading someone $1 for three. Like, why would I choose yeah. three? So, so how does that work where the ROAS isn't necessarily the target isn't necessarily go as high as possible, but optimizing for profit, like break down how that actually works. Yeah. So this would kind of be, it's, it's the question of scale, or you might think of it as in terms of velocity of money, right? So that equation you're just talking about, I'll make you a trade one to seven, but you're only going to do that, you know, three times a week. But if I'm willing to trade you one for four, you know, you know, you might be well. The, the market might be willing to do that 20 times a week or 30 times a week. You know, it's and so you end up with these these outsized um, outsized volume compared to the the ROAS, right? And it's kind of like you know the the extent to which you kind of squeeze ROAS, you're trying to get every drop out of ROAS. You're really um, choking the scale. You know, you know, in Star Wars when Princess Leia is like the tighter you squeeze, the more star systems will slip through your your grasp, right? Yeah. And Vader's like, well, I'm going to squeeze anyway, right? <laughs> and we saw how that worked out, right? He he couldn't get the scale he really needed, and it all fell apart. So yes, um, 
you know, you squeeze ROAS too hard, you're, you're just, you're hurting your skill. You can only push so hard and you end up uh, not being able to increase budgets or you do increase budgets and, and, the, and the return declines because you're so set on getting, you know, whatever high ROAS you think you need and it's really hurting your profit. So ROAS is not everything, you know, it's kind of a, it is a key metric, but only if you know what your ROAS actually should be. Right. So if you, if you have the right target and you're hitting it, yeah, you, you want to hit the gas and hit that target as many times as you can. Um, but really knowing that what the right target is, is the key. And keeping in, like a holistic mind about it, cause it is very easy to just like look at a spreadsheet, be like, this is green or this is red, this one indicator. But yeah. especially like with the brands that you work with, e-commerce brands, they're not selling digital products. A lot of times it's physical products. So it's not just what's the maximum velocity or quantity we can sell with this ad campaign, but is it, is our warehouse capable of fulfilling all these orders? Do we then have to go hire more people in order to fulfill all this additional traffic that we have? And so that changes your LTV equation, that changes your overhead, it changes all the administrative costs associated with the company as well. And so if there's any kind of additional cost to fulfilling the, the product, other than just like, here's the download or here's access to the course, then those are also things to factor in as far as how much velocity and acceleration is healthy for your company to be able to sustain it. So you don't like blow up a great ads campaign, which is what they're paying you to do. And then they have, you know, thousands of angry customers leaving them one-star reviews on Google. And the whole thing falls apart because you didn't take into account, well, could we actually deliver on all these new sales? So, right. And I imagine that's a converse, an ongoing conversation between you and the client to make sure you can continue to do a great job for them, but then also they're set up for long-term success as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. N none of this works if there's not a good product on the other end of it, you know, good customer service, it'll, it'll all fall apart. You know, I, I can be the greatest ads marketer in history of the world. And if there's not a good product, I mean, it, it's just not going to work. Right. I mean, that's, that's just, you got to have those things in place. You have good branding, a good product, you have a good, you know, support, then, then yeah, you can find, you, you just need to find the right ads techniques to, to make it work. Right. And I want to pivot to ads techniques, ironically enough, because even though it's like you get to these established best practices and it's like, okay, here are the major players and here are the basics, the landscape is always changing, not just at the technical level of how you put together a campaign, but also what people respond to, right? And so like 2020 was the year that everyone and their brothers started an online business and could run a profitable ads campaign. Because everyone's sitting at home looking for things to spend their stimulus check on, if we're thinking about the United States, right? Yeah. So now we're two years removed from that. Things are back to relatively normal. Spending habits have not gone back to 2019. They've shifted. And so now not only is it the platforms themselves that have changed, but also spending patterns, what marketing people respond to, those kind of things. So how have you seen that change kind of coming out of the pandemic, coming out of 2020 and the the really the gold rush that that was for digital marketing and to now kind of like seeing everything settle down and, and establishing a new normal. What are some things that you're seeing there? Yeah, no, definitely consumer behavior is shifting. Um, and you're seeing brands respond to that. Well, for one thing you have, you also have the, the iOS thing with Facebook, right? I mean, that was a huge shift in the landscape and it's really more about attribution. Um, than, than it, but that affects, that effect it has such a you know it's this loop this feedback loop with Facebook ads because if there's a question about attribution suddenly brands are saying 
is this working the way I thought it was? Is this, you know, or is it working as well as, as it was? We can't really tell, right? So one major shift is a lot of ad dollars, and you've seen this in stock prices being reflected with Facebook. A lot of ad dollars have been shifting over from Facebook over to Google. Um, and I think to a lesser extent, you know, something like TikTok, um, maybe Insta, Inst, or not Insta, but um, what's the other one? Uh, there's like LinkedIn, there's Pinterest, there's you know, some of those other peripheral snap Snapchat. That's what I was mm -hmm. trying to think of. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you've seen ad dollars shift. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, I think you've seen eyeballs shift, but I don't think, I think it's in kind of an outsized, you know, the, the shift in ad dollars, I think is more than the shift in eyeballs to be mm -hmm. honest, but it, it's just a question of, you know, are we seeing, you know, what are the true results in Facebook? It can be, you know, a little bit uh, nebulous now. Um, so that's definitely one change. Um, I think consumers, to your point, yeah, consumers are th thinking twice or three times about every spend now instead of before, like when that money was flowing, everybody had a little bit of extra. It's like, sure, I'd like one of those. Why not? Um, so I don't know. And we're coming into Q4. Everybody's kind of like hoping, well, what's it going to be? Or wondering what's going to be like, right? Is it going to be as heavy as years past? And I, you know, I don't think it's going to be just a total disaster by any means, but I'm sure you will see you know, a little bit, uh, maybe it won't grow as much as it has in years past, for example, right? Maybe, maybe it doesn't contract, but maybe just the growth rate is slower. Yeah. Well, I mean, holiday season is typically where a lot of brands will kind of save their year, right? Yeah. And you can kind of bank on it. Some, some brands it's, it's somewhere like 60 to 70% of their yeah. sales come in Q4. Uh, so that will be interesting to see with, you know, the way that the economy is right now and just how people feel about it. That projects a lot into to buying behaviors. Um, and you hit on iOS and I remember that being like a huge shift because again, attribution, when, when we talk about attribution, it's really just about, uh, confidence, right? How confident are you that the numbers you're seeing reflect reality? And so if, you know, Facebook sends, says that we sent 500 link clicks to your website and then you look at your website traffic and it shows 300 then that gives you a reason to doubt that Facebook's giving you good information, right? And so do you have, like, how do you track attribution? Do you track it outside of Facebook now? Are you using it with third-party data or how are you uh, putting those numbers together, those reports together? Yeah, so we still do look at the, the pixel data because there's you do have the conversions API and that can, that can fill some holes, some gaps. And I think you could also look at it and say, well, there are holes in the data but it's, it's kind of like, um, it's a modeling software essentially, right? So you're basically, it's kind of like using percentages and saying, here's what we have visibility on and what we can track. So it's kind of just up, like kind of outwardly project that across the greater uh, traffic and data that's coming in. And I don't think that's a terrible approach, honestly. I think it's, it's fairly accurate because, you know, it's kind of like things average out, right? But you don't want to just rely on it because it is a black box. We don't know exactly how Facebook does it. Um, so another thing we do is we, we always track with UTM codes. We have uh, UTM, UTM tags, I should say, that fire with every click out of Facebook. And that's something we compare. We compare and contrast. Okay, well, Facebook's saying this. Let's see what the UTMs show in Google Analytics. Now, you can only get that data for click conversions. It doesn't help you with impression conversions. But it, it will kind of give you a, a sense for, okay, if, we're, if, we're, if Facebook is saying we're driving this and last month we drove this many UTM conversions and Facebook now says our, our conversions are up, you know, 
did we see that same bump in the UTMs, right? So we kind of get a sense for how accurate it is or not. Um, but I still think there's value in, in using that ROAS number, um, especially when you're comparing prior months too. You can say, okay, if, assuming it's kind of a, you know, they're using the same system and they're not just jazzing the numbers every month or something, right? It's like, mm-hmm. like you can kind of compare and use that as the metric for what it was three months ago. And it's still the metric today. So let's see what it looks like. Are you seeing any shifts? So I know that you mentioned a shift away from Facebook towards uh, ad platforms that have a little bit better attribution uh, and kind of the specter on the horizon is, you know, Google and third party cookies. Are you seeing yeah. any trends regarding that? Cause Google is kind of the other big, you know, thousand pound gorilla in the room when it comes to ads, yeah. especially because it's less of an interruption based ad platform and it's more of an intent, right? So if somebody says, you know, what's the best new credit card, then you, you know, they're basically like looking to sign up for something. And so you have, yeah. you feel better about putting your money there because they're in a buying position. Um, but, but how has that conversation been affected or, or really not by, you know, third party cookies kind of going away in the near future? Yeah, I don't think, I think it's one of those things like until you see it happen and see what the, what the result is, I don't think people are reacting yet to it. And really, I, I'm still puzzled over this move by Google. I don't know, like, like I, it took me a little while to figure out why Apple did the iOS change. And I saw, I didn't come up with the idea myself. I saw someone saying, yeah, they're, well, they're, they're moving into ad space. Apple is. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay. I thought maybe just, Tim Cook really hated Mark Zuckerberg, right? Or maybe like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or something. They just really don't like. So he's like, I'm just going to stick it to Facebook. But no, it's because it's because Apple wants they're shifting into the ad space and they want to bring you know apps into their into their into their app store natively so that they can advertise and charge to get that ad money out of Facebook's hands, right? Is this is kind of a huge first shot to to shifting the ad landscape, but Google's kind of doing this voluntarily. And I'm like, I'm not sure. I know they have an in-game. Google does not just give away money, right? So they've got they've got a some kind of game they're playing. I just haven't figured it out yet. But I think we'll see. Yeah, it, it could be that we'll see another kind of shift um, when this happens. But I also know Google has kind of kicked that can a few times down the road. So I wonder if they're if it's maybe a little bit like, hey, the posturing, you know, like a little bit of virtue signaling. Hey, we care about privacy. We're going to do this thing someday. Yeah, but they just kind of keep <laughs> pushing it. That's what it know. seems like. It because outside of maybe GDPR compliance or something yeah. in the realm of like, in general, the internet is shifting towards more privacy, just as kind of like a cultural wave, uh, and wanting to be on the right side of that. Um, I mean, Apple. It definitely makes sense to get into the ad space. It's like you own all the devices. Yeah. Now services make up a significant amount of your revenue. Those services, which are provided for free, great opportunities to allow people to pay for exposure. Uh, so yep. it definitely makes sense for Apple. And and if I was to put money on any of the companies being navel gazing and not thinking about how it affects other companies, it would be Apple because they live in their own <laughs> right. universe, right? It's totally. like it's it begins and ends with them. It's like Microsoft's doing what we don't even know. We're just focused on you know iPhone, you know twenty four yeah. and a half, whatever that is going to be down the road. Totally. Um, so I would love to to walk through some basic metrics. If, you know, somebody who's listening to this episode and they're an entrepreneur or a business owner or, you know, the head of marketing, but not necessarily the person pushing the buttons on the ads campaign, just to get an idea of like, like a ballpark of what to expect. Like if you have a really healthy ads campaign and things are going well and you want to keep putting money into the pile, uh, you know, like what's a ballpark 
ROAS, we kind of touched on it, but like, what is the range that you encourage or want to see? Um, and then how does that number shift as you scale and increase your budget? Because I know that you can have a really great number when you're spending $50 a day, but then if you want to go up to $50,000 a day, then that number shifts quite dramatically. So kind of like walk through some of those benchmarks just so someone can have an idea of what to expect and what to be aiming for. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll, it'll depend a little bit on how you're approaching it. For one, I mean, it's like, you need to know kind of what we talked about before. What's your LTV? What should your ROAS be? You kind of figure out that number. If I, you know, if I had to pick the most common number people land on, it's usually three to five X as a, as an account wide ROAS. They say, Hey, if our account's hitting four X, um, if it gets to five, great. If it's lower than three, we got a problem. But if it's sliding in around four, you know, we'll, we'll hit the gas pedal all day. Um, but it also depends on the campaign type. So, and this is one thing where I, you know, I, I you have to kind of educate clients is you say, Hey, look, you know, we're always going to get a higher, a ROAS that's higher than your target low in the funnel. You know, you're talking about abandoned carts. You're talking about, um, you know, people who have shown high levels of engagement or people who have bought from you three times before, you know, those people were, we're almost always going to convert them at a much higher rate than cold traffic. I mean, and in fact, if you're not seeing that in your ad account, it's actually a, a big red flag because it means you've got audiences that are mixed up. You've got cold traffic mixed with warm traffic and Facebook's favoring the warm traffic because that's the traffic that converts and it's making your cold traffic look better than it is, right? So you want to pick a kind of a holistic ad account ROAS based on your LTV and you say, okay, if I need to hit four, now you got to start pulling the levers, right? And you say, okay, if I want to hit four overall, um, first you figure out your, uh, your lower funnel budget you say, I'm going to spend this much on lower funnel. Maybe lower funnel drives an 8X return, right? Or, or, or higher or something like that. And you figure out, okay, if I'm hitting 8X, then that means I can give up this much on the top of the funnel and maybe top of the funnel, you can get by with one and a half X because it's top of funnel, right? It's cold traffic. And you know, you might know that, Hey, for every person that us that buys uh, something from me today, I'm going to get them to buy four times in the future. Cause I've studied my, my historical data. I know my lifetime value. I know my customer life cycle and all those things. And if you have that information, that's power and you can really lean into that top of funnel traffic. Right. Um, so I would say, yeah, those would be things to look for and things to expect is, is for one, don't, and also don't panic if you see a low ROAS at the top of the funnel. That's normal. And so you, you can obviously optimize it and get it higher, but your, your top of funnel traffic is always, it should always be lower than your average ROAS because mm -hmm. you make it up in the funnel and you make it up with your lifetime value. How much of, so, so it seems like there's kind of like weighted averages, like a certain yeah. percentage of the budget goes to targeting people at different places in the buying journey. Um, and we, t we talked about stages of awareness earlier on the podcast, but you know, cold and warm traffic is a way of describing how much someone knows about you and your product and their inclination towards making a purchase, right? So they could know who you are, but if they don't need a belt, it doesn't matter that you sell belts, right? Uh, versus someone who's actively trying to buy a new belt and they know about you and you're in the consideration the last three, uh, that, that would be like pretty warm traffic. So, so it seems like you put together like a weighted average of overall, we want four X, but here eight X is like what we want to see up here. One and a half is good. And then when you average it all out across the campaign, four is the target. Um, I imagine that also gives you a lot of flexibility because you can 
test things at different places and make up for it if it, it doesn't go the way that you expect it to with those other targeted audiences, right? So you want to try some new creative for cold audiences. If it goes from 1.5 to 1.25, that's okay because you have, you're not going to go out of business if you keep spending money there to learn and adapt and, and to experiment. Is that true? Oh, definitely. And, and there should always be a portion of your budget should always be going for testing because you, you don't know what you don't know, right? It's like, and the only way to figure it out is, is you run experiments and you see like what you just mentioned, a new creative or a new um, value proposition, uh, uh, so some other way of presenting to cold traffic and seeing what really gets people's attention, what gets them to engage, come to the site, click around. It make because creative can make obviously it's a huge it can be a huge difference right, um, and that's something where, you know, it's one benefit of like like someone like me I see a lot of ad accounts I see a lot of creative I see the results, um, it's it's one thing to see it out in the wild but it's another thing to see it in the back end and see what it drove you know, um, so one thing that we do is we're, we're experimenting with all of our client accounts to l greater or lesser degrees depending on their needs and their budgets but. We'll take those learnings and we apply it to other clients. Hey, this worked for client A. I'm pretty sure it'll work for client B over there, right? And we start, we, we move those, those um, you know, tactics around. Um, so it's going to be, you, you'd want to experiment with creative. You'd want to experiment with, um, with targeting. You'd want to experiment with campaign structure. And uh, it's, it, you, you, you know, I've been amazed. I still am amazed from time to time. When we'll see an account and it's chugging along, it's doing okay. We're like, hey, what if we tried this? We just just revamp this whole thing, take a piece of the pie, you know, ten percent, fifteen percent of the budget, and just see how it does. And it can take, you know, it can take an ad account just to a completely different level, right? And that's always very satisfying for someone like me in my seat. I'm like, hey, we found something really cool, right? And clients even happier than they were before. Yeah, absolutely. And how much of so I, I imagine the amount of impact the creative has depends on the platform. So a platform like Instagram or Facebook, where it's very creative, uh, mm -hmm. it's like you got an image or a video, you got text, you got headline, you got call to action button. It's like all these different levers to pull. Google, you got headline, subheadline, that's it. Like that's that's really yeah. all you got. Um, so what kinds of creative are, have been working? It seems like more platforms are favoring video for organic. Is, are you seeing that same trend with paid traffic as well, that videos are tending to perform better than just plain text or images? Certainly, almost always. I mean, it's, I'm not, you would, I wouldn't, I would never run an account without images because they have their place, mm -hmm. but particularly with top of funnel, you know, it's going to be the, the reels and the stories ads that are, are the best at pulling people in. Um, you know, you think about TikTok. It's it's successful for a reason. It's because of video, right? Um, and it's because of the format. It works on your phone when you're scrolling. You know, it fills up that it's that aspect ratio, um, and it's so it, you can pull people in with with a video a lot easier than you can with words and a and a still image, um, static image. So, yeah, especially if it's kind of the more or usually the more organic, the better. Meaning. You know, you can make a super polished commercial style video and put that up against something that looks like someone just whipped out their phone and recorded, you know, a video, 30 second testimonial or user generated content or unboxing video. 
And those will almost always win. I mean, it's, it's just, because it, it comes across, it is, it's more organic. It comes across as more organic and people tend to trust it more because they relate to it. They see themselves in that video, right? So yeah, that's the kind of content that, you know, and you, and you got to play with the angles. You got to play with the messaging a little bit, but that's generally what you're, what you need to find success. It's so, it's so ironic, right? Like as, as businesses, we think, okay, we need to like really establish the quality of our brand across the entire board, including our ads videos. They need to be done by our video production team, take like four months to produce. And it's going to be the most beautiful video you've ever seen. And it doesn't perform well as like, you know, your middle school kid who just like was talking about the thing that they bought. It's, it's bizarre. Uh, but should also feel freeing once you kind of remove the the stigma attached from like having less creative control as far as like associating the quality of the video with the brand itself. It's like, no, no, you're, you're creating videos for the internet. Like you're not creating a TV commercial. And so you need to make something that makes sense for the internet. And then that will then get you the results you're looking for. Absolutely. So then as you think about ad spend in the different buckets, how much of the, you know, thinking about your clients and the e-commerce brands you work with, how much of it is devoted to actually driving traffic to the website or particular product pages? And how much of it is building and cultivating audiences on the platform? So like with Facebook, you can do a, you know, video through play views campaign to say, we just want to figure out who's interested in these topics by promoting this video and see who watches 50% of it. How much of it is building your own custom audiences on these platforms and how much of it is using that audience to then direct them to a product page? Yeah. So it'll, yeah. And I hate to say it depends, but it does depend. You know, if it's, if you're in the early stages um, and you don't really have a lot of existing traffic that you can leverage and try to, you're fun, you're trying to build the funnel, you're going to be pretty much all cold traffic and, um, but even then, you, you know, second you're running cold traffic, you need a, an ads funnel backing that up because that's where you're going to get most of your conversion. Most people are not going to convert on that first click. They're going to need to see you four or five more times and really, and think about it before they come back. Right. Um, once you're established, you know, it's, it's because the ROAS is so high, usually on that, uh, established traffic, you, you max it out pretty quick, meaning, yeah, you could say, Hey, I'm getting eight X on my retargeting. Let's quadruple a budget. Well, you can't, you know, there's only, there are so many people in that pool and you're just, if you just want to increase your frequency to 100 times a week, that's fine, but you're wasting your money, right? Cause you're not going to really squeeze out much more profit. Um, so it ends up being that, you know, when people are trying to scale, it almost always goes to the top of the funnel. Now there is kind of a middle ground. So, so to short answer to your question, I guess, is like, you might think of it like 75% of your budget is going towards top of funnel. And then you have the other 25% that can kind of efficiently handle the re- retargeting, right? There's kind of that middle, there's this middle section that um, some people call it middle of funnel. And, and I think there's, yeah, I like that too, but there's like this other, it's kind of like middle of funnel subset that I call re-engagement. And that's where, you know, you're taking people that are, they know who you are, but they're not actively in the funnel right now. You know, they aren't, they didn't abandon in a car recently. They haven't been to the website, but they're maybe on your list and possibly they don't open your emails anymore. Um, and look, email, email isn't what it once was. We all know that in marketing, right? It used to be like, that was 
how you, you got a lot of sales for very low cost, but people don't, a lot of those emails end up in the promotions tab. They don't ever see them. They go straight to spam or they're just kind of blind to them and they just get swiped on their phone. They get archived, right? So there's a, a really powerful segment in a lot of people's funnel that they do not leverage called that I call re-engagement. And it's people who are in your list. They know who you are. They've probably bought from you in the past, would like to buy from you again. They just don't think about you anymore. No offense. They just don't think about you, right? So you need to, you need to find a way to get in front of them. If they're not in your retargeting funnel, they're not going to show up in a retargeting audience, right? So you go find people that haven't opened an email in three months. You pull them into an audience and let's give them an offer, right? Especially in Q4 right now, this is a prime time to be trying to re-engage people. So if, yeah, if you have like this 75, 25% budget, top of funnel 75, you know, middle, bottom funnel 25, I'd carve out 10, 15% for re-engagement and try to get people that have known you in the past and just have forgotten, get them back into your funnel. Yeah. The more low hanging fruit you can take advantage of, the healthier your ads campaign will be overall, right? Because it's yeah. like, hey, this is right here. We just, have, we just have to know to set this up and to have a strategy behind the content and the offers you're making to then take advantage of that. So then give you more flexibility on the cold traffic to be able to, to stomach a lower ROAS or to try things or, you know, throw money at experiments that may or may not work because you know, you have these other things that are supplementing it and complementing it. Right. Right. So, so we talked about audiences. We talked about, you know, how you divvy up the ad spend to kind of paint a holistic uh, vision for a paid ads campaign. How do you choose which platforms make the most sense for brands? So e-commerce, I imagine, is a lot of social media um, and, you know, kind of like intent-based search. But how do you decide, like, of all the options, the suite of options that you have, which ones make the most sense for which brands? Do you look at demographics? Do you look at psychographics? Like, how do you make that determination? Well, I in the past, like two years ago, I would have almost always kind of defaulted towards Facebook. I wouldn't have always said it has to be Facebook, but that would have been kind of the natural default. And now it's natural default is Google. But what can, what sways that one way or the other would be is, is there existing demand for your product that you can tap into? If there is, then you go to Google. If you have to choose between them, you go to Google first. Um, at least experiment and try it first because you have, you mentioned this earlier in the, sh in the show, you've got intent. Okay. And that's huge. That's, it's all the difference when you're talking about, you know, Facebook, no one went to Facebook looking for your product. They're there to scroll and, and argue and, and whatever, you know, click the like button. Fill and... time while they're in the public restroom. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Totally. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. So, so there, you know, you've got to pull them away from an intent that they did. They had a different intent. You got to pull them away from it, right? Whereas Facebook, I'm sorry, Google, they are looking for you. You just have to tap into it. You have to get in front of them. Okay. So if the intent is there, then get in front of that first, leverage that first. But not everybody has that luxury. Some people are selling a product that's newish or the idea is just, it hasn't caught on yet. There's not a big competitor out there that they can try to kind of kind of leverage demand for and, and pull people into their own products. And if you don't have that, then you don't have a choice. You've got to go the social route, right? You need to have good creatives. You need to have strong branding. Um, and you got to have a, a way to, and a good product, of course, to get people's attention, right? So so this, this next line of questioning is very selfish because I'm much more familiar with Facebook as an ads platform than Google. Uh, so three things. 
Google search has always kind of been the main thing people think about with Google, but with product-based um, companies like e-commerce, Google shopping would be another option as far as like having uh, things pop up when someone goes to a shopping tab after a search. And then YouTube ads, video ads um, would also be in that Google ecosystem. So how do you think about maybe underpriced or overpriced traffic from within that ecosystem and even options that I don't even know about that are out there that companies can be taking advantage of? So it's not just we're going to pay top dollar for the first listing in a Google search, but here are some other placements we can take advantage of to maybe get similar traffic for a, for a better result as far as like a profit or return on ad spend. Yeah. So uh, for, for Google, usually the lowest hanging fruit is going to be shopping. Um, it's still, it's still, you know, it's getting more expensive, but it's still cheap enough that if it's set up correctly and it's done correctly, it's, it's probably going to work for you. Um, it's gotten, you know, it's, it's getting more and more commoditized, uh, shopping is. So it's, I think it's, you know, it's almost like Amazon, you know, it's like there's everybody's, everybody has multiple options to choose from, you know, the, the consumer, there are multiple sellers of similar items, right? So it becomes commoditized a little bit. Um, commoditized meaning they just look at, here's the six options, which one's the cheapest click on that one. Basically. Yeah. It's like who it's a race to the bottom. Who's going to give me the free shipping plus the lowest price. Right. Gotcha. (laughs) Yeah. So who's willing to, to make the least amount (laughs) to sell me this thing. Um, and so, yeah, so then you've got, uh, YouTube ads that, uh, that was actually what, in their latest earnings report, um, Google kind of got tagged over that because YouTube has hit, taken a hit. So I would say if you have good creative, um, you've got a good video, it's, it's either funny or it's informative or it's in some way grabs people's attention. I mean, you could get that some traffic for cheap because other advertisers are, are fleeing, right? And that means the costs go down. So uh, that's an opportunity, but you got to have good creative, right? That's, that's the rub. Um, search is, you know, that one's also a little bit commoditized because it's the most well-known, right? You're just, you know, everybody has been doing, brands have been doing search forever and ever. So it's like, you know, we're all there. We're all, you either have to find a way to stand out with text, which is hard because people don't like to read text, right? They're going to like, they're going to choose between options, usually one and two, or two and three within a few seconds. So you got to have um, ads that tie in very tightly to what they are searching or else they're going to skip you, right? So I'd say probably display retargeting is going to be a, a good option for people if they're not leveraging it. Um, and, and in terms of lowest hanging fruit, I'd say it's usually it's shopping, then it's going to be search, then it's going to be display retargeting. And those are usually the first three campaigns we set up along with branded. Um, and branded, by the way, should be totally separate between any of those other efforts. It needs to be like in its own firewall, no mixing of branded and non-branded. That's how it should be set up. Okay. Um, and once you get, once you get through those, then it's like, okay, we need, let's start kind of climbing the money tree, so to speak. And we're going to have to reach harder and that's going to be YouTube ads. And that's going to be, you know, cold display ads. It's tough. That is really tough to make work. So I would not try that until I had leveraged everything else as hard as I could. Right. So that's kind of the, the tiering I would say in terms of campaigns within Google. Okay. Two follow-ups. First one, break down branded versus non-branded. Like what are the differences? Uh, and then second, when you talk about display, I mean, talking about like programmatic, Google has, uh, reserved, uh, space on websites to basically like put in ads 
when somebody goes to somebody else's website and Google happens to know that you're there and that you also search for those other things. So we're going to show you an image. Um, but kind of break down those two things a little bit more just for someone who maybe hasn't run a campaign before. This is new. Like how would, how would you explain this to a five-year-old essentially? And I'm yeah. going to play the muse of the five-year-old. Okay, <laughs> sure. So branded is, you know, your, your brand is what, you know, Acme something, right? It's the name of your company. If people are searching for you, it's, it's really just, it's a few reasons. One, it's either they need help and they're a customer and they need help or they're a prospect and they just either don't know your domain or they're, they want to do research on you and they've heard about you or they saw you somewhere else and they're looking you up. That's branded traffic. It tends to convert obviously way higher than non-branded traffic because people already know who you are to some extent and they're looking for you. Um, now there's always a debate. Well, uh, should I advertise those people because you know, I'm going to get that traffic anyway. First of all, not necessarily. Um, I would go and check and see if people are parked on your branded searches. If, if you've got competitors parked there and almost always Amazon is going to show up, right? And depending if you, if you don't care if Amazon pulls them in, that's fine. Let Amazon pull them in. But um, usually it's worth it to have at least some presence in that branded space to kind of defend it. Um, and that's where you would say, okay, on the keyword level, you'd have a firewall between that traffic and anything that's not branded. So any search that doesn't contain your business name or a product name that just you sell, that's considered non-branded, right? So you wouldn't want to mix those results at all because branded traffic, like I said, converts a lot at a lot higher rate. And so it will prop up and make your non-branded traffic look way better than it is. And that means you're, you know, all the optimizations are kind of pointless at that point because you're really optimizing on bad data. Um, so does that, does that work from yeah. the branded part? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're basically segmenting the intent or the search that's coming in to make sure that you can uh, have the right strategy for approaching each. And I'm glad that you talked about defense because that's really what it is. It's, you know, somebody typed in your company's name because they remembered you sell a widget. And then your competitor is like, hey, before you buy this thing, did you know that we sell it too over here for $5 less? Why don't you, why don't you come over here? Like that's yeah. essentially what you're trying to get in front of is say, no, we really do have the widget you want. Here's the link. Boom. There you go. Uh, so you're, you're playing defense from other people poaching your sales is essentially what you're talking about, right? Yeah. And especially with Amazon, because if yeah, almost always you're going to have 10 competitors selling the same thing or something similar enough on Amazon, a lot of it's going to be cheaper. So if Amazon's parked on your branded term, yeah, I mean, people are programmed. Oh, Amazon, easy prime shipping. I'm a member. I'll just click and, and I'm done. Right. And I have to like give my credit card to another company and all that. So if Amazon's parked there, I would definitely be trying to defend that space. Um, but yeah, and then the other question was about display, right? Between retargeting and non. Yeah. So retargeting is just going to be, yeah, people who have been to the site. And so you're going to try to, you know, people that went to the site and they didn't do exactly what you want them to do. We want them to spend money on our site. If they don't do that, we need to retarget to them, try to try to get them to, to think about coming back. Um, now that is different from just general display advertising because you can say, Hey, Google, go find me people on these display uh, websites with display ads and bring them to my website. But that traffic is usually very low quality and particularly the app traffic. Um, and Google has made it very, very hard to not get app traffic. And most of the app traffic is just garbage traffic. It's going to be, you know, if you go through the list of apps, it's going to be a lot of them are, um, 
children's games. So it's, you know, mom handed Junior the phone and Junior's here just clicking on stuff and accidentally clicked your ad 10 times. Sorry, but you still owe us. <laughs> you owe us for all those clicks. clicks. That's right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, or someone will be like, you know, it'll be some random app that's in, you know, a totally different language, probably from traffic that's in another country, right? It's like not at all who you're looking for. Um, so you gotta be really, really careful. If you want to, like I said, I would not even think about doing cold display traffic unless I had really exhausted every other ads channel out there. Right. So it's like, do you really want to advertise to the person that said, I'll watch an ad for five gems in Candy Crush. And as soon as I can click the X in the top right corner, I will to get back to my game. Is that really right. the, the impression that you want to pay for? Probably totally. not. <laughs> Probably not. But that's like breaking it down. That's what it means when you're advertising yep. in apps with display. Um, yep. So yeah. So hopefully that brings it home and makes it really practical and actionable. <laughs> People get it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the last, I guess, question that I have as far as like constructing a well thought through paid ads campaign is how much, um, how much do you experiment with and A/B test the landing page or the product page or the website for the company versus the creative of the ads? And where do you kind of hold one steady while testing the other, and vice versa? Um, because you can drive a lot of really great traffic to a landing page, but if it doesn't deliver on what the ad creative said it did or if it's not really clear how to take the next step, then, you know, it's going to be hard to capture on that. So, so how do you maintain that balance and, and how much do you actually experiment with the product pages and things like that? Yeah. So it, that, that, that's where you have a little bit of crossover in what I do, which is ads optimization, me, me and, and, and my team. Right. But they're, they're connected obviously, because you can't just completely separate the two. The website really matters. On the other hand, you know, UX is kind of a whole other animal, right? So we definitely will, like if the client's saying, hey, look, you know, we're seeing on this page, metrics don't look as good as they they do on other pages, right? And so let's try to figure out what the reason is. Let's experiment with the page. Yeah, of course, we can run A-B tests with ad traffic, um, but you can also run A-B tests with all the traffic. And that's actually better usually because it's a bigger sample sample size. You'll get to a conclusion faster um, than, than you would just from the ads. So it's, it's usually best to kind of say, okay, we're going to, yeah, we need, we're going to get some kind of AB software here and, and just let it run for all of the traffic, figure out which, which version of the page does better. Um, and then you apply that, you know, and that'll flow over to the ads we find a winner. And then that's our new, that's our landing page for the ads. Right. So I don't usually recommend clients to say, hey, look, let's take all of your ad traffic and A-B test it for a specific landing page. Do it on the site itself with all traffic. Um, and then, but you can, so, but you can sometimes if it's like, it's not so much about UX, it's more about the offer, then it does make more sense to say, okay, we want to, we're not sure which offer is better here. You know, if we're trying to come up with a bundle, for example, we might say, hey, we want to we get our AOV up. So let's, let's try a bundle with these three product products or whatever and see if that converts well. Well, the best way to figure that out is with ads. Okay. Because then you can like basically turn on the spigot and force traffic to where you want it because you maybe don't want everybody to see this offer, right? You may not want your organic traffic to see it. You just want 
kind of this, this, this uh, specific segment to see it and let's see how it does. Maybe an email blaster, right? Something like that is more sent, makes more sense for an AB test on a landing page. Um, then if it's like a UX question, we're like, we're not sure the users are really making, you know, understanding this page, then that's less about ads. It's more about like, you just need to test your page on, in front of everybody. Right. So as someone is listening to this episode and they're thinking, okay, this is a lot of information, a lot of things to consider. I mean, so one, that's the benefit of using an agency like yours is you can tap into the wisdom of companies and experts that don't just know about your product, but they have experience in all kinds of industries and niches and know the ins and outs of what's happening. Uh, but if somebody did want to get started on their own, cause they're like, maybe their budget's too small to really invest in an agency like yours. What are some beginning mistakes or rookie mistakes that you see often with people that are just getting started with paid traffic? Um, yeah, beginning mistakes, I would say probably the, the, the biggest one would be, um, like if it's Google, for example, they don't properly segment campaigns. So what we talked about a minute ago between branded and non-branded, that's, that's a very common rookie mistake. You know, they just, they just say, Oh, G Google walks me through it. They'll tell me how to set this thing up. Right. They've got the, the, this, <laughs> and it, you gotta remember, are these, these, um, these smart, it's like called, I think a smart ad account is what they call it. And it's really just a extremely limited version of Google ads. And it's basically trying to make it so people can, can, can't commit as many mistakes. Right. But it's just, it's not a good way to run ads. It's usually, um, they're tailoring to the lowest common denominator to people that really just don't know anything about ads. Um, and that's fine. But the downside is you're, you're you know, trying to compete with someone like me who's running camp campaigns for your competitors. Uh, good luck. It's just not going to work. Right. So you need to have at least some kind of basic understanding of how to set up a real true campaign, not in the smart mode. Um, and I would say, you know, segmenting between branded and non-branded is a really good start. You know, figure out where your branded traffic is going to be, get that campaign going, and then figure out kind of your most basic non-branded campaigns based on the products you're selling. Um, and then set up a, just a small limited, limited campaign. So if you can get some sales going and then look at the data and you start optimizing. Right. And Google or Google does show you, hey, which keywords drove this, the traffic, which ones converted, which ones did not. OK, so that's your first thing. You lean into ones that work and you move away from the ones that don't. Right. Um, then you can look at demographic data. You can look at is it are men buying more than women or is it age based or is it income based? Is it location based? Right. Is it uh, device based? Do, do we do better on mobile? Do we do better on desktop? So all those things, those are like the, the segments within a, a, a specific campaign you look at and you start just pulling the levers and, and trying to get a little bit better result from the campaign, you know, each week. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And I'll even throw this into, I think the more patient you can be, the more likely you are to have long-term success, right? I think what I've seen is a lot of people get started, they throw money at something and then it doesn't perform exactly the way they hoped that it would. Because guess what? You don't really know what you're doing. And they decide Google ads don't work for me or Facebook ads don't work for me or Amazon ads don't work for me because see, I spent this money on this campaign and it didn't work. But the more, uh, you know, runway you can give yourself and the more you can afford to learn because really the only way to learn with ads is to spend money, unfortunately. I wish there was a free way to do it. But that's really the best, best way to do it is you just got to put it into place and see what happens. 
Um, if you can be patient or give yourself time to figure things out and have money that's like, okay, this is, you know, this isn't a $10,000 ads budget. This is a $10,000 investment in my education about Google ads. If you can think about it like that, you're much more likely to see success because then you'll kind of ride the waves a little bit better because even a seasoned ads, uh, you know, manager, not everything you do strikes gold the first time. It's, it's oh, actually, right, right. you're trying lots of things until you discover, oh, it's this age demographic, it's this location, it's this device. But until you actually get the data in front of you, you don't know what you don't know. And so if you abandon ship too quickly, you never get that learning, you never get that data to help inform the next campaign to be better than the last one. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, you, you almost have to look at it like you're, you know, you mentioned you're spending money on the education. You're also buying the data, right? And that's, and that's the thing is Google has all the data and they'd be glad to give it to you for a price, right? (laughs) (laughs) You got to spend the money, get that data into your account, and then you can start, you know, pushing the buttons and, and making the changes that will make it. So it's not costing you money. It's making you money, right? Absolutely. So if someone wants to to learn more about what you do in your company, where's the best place to go to see if, if you could potentially be a good fit to help them with their uh, revenue and, and sales goals? Yeah, I would start on my site, exactclickdigital.com. There are a few things that they could look at. If they're just looking for information, there are a couple of guides that I've published. One is how to audit your digital marketer. Um, so if you have a digital marketer working on your account right now, sometimes people wonder like, how do I know if this guy is doing a good job or not? It's a series of videos they are all fairly short. I think five to six minutes a piece. And it just gives you some very basic things. It's, it's also the same, um, kind of checklist I run through when I'm doing an audit of account and I see how, want to see how the account's doing. This is what I look at, right? So I walk you through that in the guide. Um, or there's another one that's called the top five mistakes you're probably making with ads. So if you are running accounts on your on your own for your own brand and you want to see what those top five mistakes are and how to change it or not do them, then that's a great free guide. Um, last option is if you want me to audit it, this is something I'll offer to your listeners. I'm willing to do a free audit of a Google or Facebook ad account. And they can just go to my website, exactclickdigital.com slash free audit. And there's a Calendly link there. We just sync up for 10 minutes so I understand what you're looking for, some of your objectives, and then I'll send them back a free video audit of their account. Awesome. And we'll, I'll leave links to all of those uh, things that Leo just mentioned in the show notes so you can go check those out. Leo, thanks so much for sharing your expertise and your time. I certainly hope you had as much fun as I did. I did. Thank you, Travis. So I know that felt like drinking through a fire hose, just all the incredible information that Leo shared and, and all the things that that we can take and implement when you have a business that's selling a product or a service and you're ready to push into paid traffic. My number one takeaway for this episode is make sure that you're willing to spend the money to learn. Make sure that you're willing to spend the money to learn and to have the patience to get the data that you need to make educated decisions. You know, Leo was talking about how important it is to, to be always be experimenting, right? And to try things with cold traffic and try things with warm traffic and always be looking for new ways to optimize or grow uh, your ads platforms. And ultimately coming back to, it really helps to have that expertise, whether it's someone on your team and you're investing in them to make sure that they can be on top of what's working. So if you have a larger company and you have a marketing team and you have someone who's responsible for your ads, make sure you're getting them the education they need in order to stay on top of things. The whole landscape shifts so quickly what worked six months ago isn't working today. 
And so make sure that you're giving them the resources they need to stay on top of things so you can continue to perform into the future. But if you are in a position where you want to scale and you want to get better results from your ads, I definitely encourage you to look for an agency like Leo's. If you're in the e-commerce space, definitely encourage you to check out his website, which is linked in the description below. But if you're not in that industry, maybe you sell services, maybe you have a SaaS product, look for a marketing agency, a digital marketing agency that specializes in your niche. So not a generalist, not someone that just does ad services for everyone and their brother. If you're a dental office, look for an ads agency that works with dentists. If you're a lawyer or have a law firm, look for ad agencies that specialize in injury law, you know, trademark law, all the other kinds of law. If you have an outdoor apparel brand, look for ad agencies that specialize in your industry. The reason being, they're going to have unique wisdom and knowledge when it comes to your products and services that a generalist will not. Okay, so if you're at the point where you want to invest in an outside agency to help accelerate your growth, make sure you choose one that's going to know exactly how to deliver results for you and your company and what your goals are. All right, so this was a lot of information, a lot jam-packed in this episode, but I hope it was super helpful. And until next time, be honest.